What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that is helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions dealing with anything and everything from morality to spirituality, relationship advice, evangelization, catechesis, a dogma, apologetics, works of charity, acts of justice, the list goes on. I would then sit with your questions. I would pray with them and and hopefully I'll respond in such a way that it's good for you to become a saint. But my disclaimer is this, I'm not perfect. Uh, and so every now and then I might give advice that's not actually good for you. If that's the case, then I want to give you the freedom to reject whatever it is that I say that does not help you to become a saint. However, if my advice is helpful, though difficult, then I want to encourage you to lean into Jesus Christ in prayer, uh, in scripture, in the sacraments, in fellowship, so that God can give you the graces that you may need over time to fulfill the demands of discipleship. If you're a first-time listener, you can hit me up with your own questions at www.ascensionpress.com slash askfatherjosh. That's A-S-K-F-A-T-H-E-R-J-O-S-H. Again, that's www.ascensionpress.com slash askfatherjosh. You can comment, critique, give me feedback, share with me your glory stories, uh, and give me more questions for future episodes. Uh, and finally, if you want to stay in touch with me outside of the podcast, you can buy my books, Broken and Blessed. You can buy my book, uh, Pocket Guide to Adoration, and my new book with Father Mike Schmitz, Pocket Guide to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, all at that website, www.ascensionpress.com. We have some really cool topics today. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, experiencing union with God. We're also going to talk about Enoch and Elijah, uh, those two figures from the Old Testament who, according to Scripture, they were taken up into heaven. Like, what does that even mean? And specifically with the, the first question, union with God, like, what does it mean that St. Irenaeus says that God became man so that we might become God? Like, do we actually become God? Is the That's the question. And finally, the last question is going to be about Marian apparitions. And specifically, how do we know that visionary saints didn't simply suffer with mental illness? But before we get to those really, really good questions, I want to share with you a glory story. And my glory story is this, I got to recently spend some time with some of my seminaries. As, as y'all know, I'm not only the pastor of the best parish in the diocese, Baton Rouge, I lady of the Holy Rosary Catholic Church, but I'm also a vocation director for the diocese. And so I was hanging out my seminarians recently, and you know, we had this diocesan initiative of prayer and fasting for healthy and holy vocations to the priesthood and religious life from the land. And uh, I was talking to my seminarians, and I had no idea, but they are fasting and praying every single week. So they broke it up to where they each one takes one day a week to fast. And I had no idea. I, kn I knew that they were fasting, but I didn't know they were going to do it every single week specifically for this call. So yeah, that just made my heart, my heart feel good. You know, just man, that, that's, that's the power, the power of prayer. And then I got a, I got a message from my bishop the other day and he was like, Hey, I pray. Cause I was fasting the other day and he was like, Hey, I pray my rosary for you today. And I, I think it's so cool that we are all connected in, in, in the prayer specifically of our ladies prayer, the rosary, um, and through the acts of fasting. And so, yeah, that's just my glory story. It's just the gift of prayer and fasting and how, even though we're all separated right now, physically, we are united through our, our prayer and our penance, uh, for this, this very good cause of healthy and holy vocation. So if you, 
are in your Lenten season right now and you're like, man, like I really dropped the ball this Lent, then I want to encourage you. We still have a few more days of Lent to just pick up prayer and fasting now. Start praying the rosary for the rest of Lent uh, and fast for this for this need for healthy and holy priests and religious sisters from our land. Also, ladies out there in the Diocese of Baton Rouge, I am planning a, a nun run. So I, I did two come and sees this, this past semester for guys uh, discerning the priesthood, but I'm going to do a nun run for the ladies. So if you are interested then uh, email me at my diocesan website, and it's on the diobr.org website. Go to that, that page, hit me up, and let me know. Uh, it's going to be in April. And so if you want to do a nun run, we'll, we're going to visit different convents, check out different sisters, some who are very active, some are, who are more contemplative, some who are cloistered, some who are out in the world. And, uh, and that way, it can just kind of give you a taste and a dose of what religious life is like. So with that being said, I want to give you some feedback. All right, feedback comes in from Dan, my man. Dan says, this is not really a question, but a follow-up. I heard your last podcast question about why we sit and kneel and stand at the times we do during the Mass, and it sparked something that our parish priest did for the kids uh, and turned out to be just as beneficial for the parents and the adults. One night, they had a Mass for the kids, and Father Joe stopped throughout the Mass and explained the why of what we just did, said, or prayed. He went into the colors of the Mass and how they relate to the liturgical seasons, their meaning, the reason, and explanation of the vestments the priests are wearing, and any multiple other topics. Uh, It truly was a great educational piece, not just for my daughters, but for me as well. And it helped us to understand the meaning and make parts of the Mass more connecting instead of just repetitive. Thanks for what you're doing. Please keep it up. May God bless you and your parish family, Dan. Thank you so much, Dan, for your blessing. And uh, yeah, that's super cool. I love um, when we do those educational masses and we just break down the why, the why behind the what. It helps us to enter deeper into the liturgy and worship God freely. So um, praise God for your pastor, Father Joe. All right, let's go ahead and jump into today's questions. All right, first question comes in from Jane. Jane writes about union with God. Hi, Father Josh. I have a lot of Mormon and Latter-day Saints friends, and one topic that has come up is deification, their belief that they can become gods and rule their own planet in the next life. Uh, They quoted St. Irenaeus, who said that God had become what we are, that he might bring us to be even what he is himself, as well as other church fathers. I did some research, and it looks like Catholic teaching includes deification to a certain degree, but I'm confused. Do we as Catholics believe that we will become like God to a level that we are equal with him? Thanks for your help. That's a great question, James. I mean, the short answer is no. We, we would never be equal with God. Our nature is a human nature. God has, God has a divine nature, but... Great question, and the saints do say that, and the catechism does teach that. So what do the saints mean, and what does the catechism mean when it says things like, uh, we will become like God? So and it's also cool because like every day I celebrate Mass as a priest, uh, and whenever I um, 
when I, I pour the water into the wine, I always say a prayer silently. This goes back to Dan's follow-up about the different things that we do during the Mass. And so whenever I pour the water into the wine, the priest of the deacon says, uh, may the mingling of the water and wine, ooh, through the mingling of the water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbles himself to share in our humanity. Yeah, it's, you know, if I'm not doing something, I, don't, I can't, like, mm-mm, can't go there. But yeah, yes, may we come to share, yes, in the divinity Christ who chose to share in our humanity. Mm. Yes, that's what that's what we say. So we pray this at every single mass on behalf of on behalf of the church. One one thing that Saint Athanasius and Augustine and some and Aquinas like they all have in common is that they all spoke about this. If you read Saint Thomas Aquinas's writings, uh, he specifically goes in on this. Saint Augustine goes in on this, and so there's like a lot of the saints talk about this. In the, it's in the Catechism, paragraph four sixty. If you hear that siren outside my window right now, I'm doing a retreat this week for for Life Teen. And I've not made it to my retreat yet, so I'm at a location right now outside the camp. And so God bless you, whatever's going on outside. But in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, paragraph 460, it says this, The Son of God became man so that we might become God. This is big. You might be hearing this for the first time and be thinking to yourself, wait, what? Wait, God became man so that I might become God? That sounds like heresy. Is that even biblical? So this is this idea is what is called divinization, um, and is it biblical? Were the saints crazy? Is Aquinas, who's like the the top doctor of the church, you know, at the uh, I think it was at the Council of Trent, they held up two books, the Bible and the Summa, uh, and so like is Thomas Aquinas has he lost his mind? Is Saint Augustine going crazy? Right? What's happening here? Well, it actually is biblical. King David in the Old Testament, back in the OT. Wrote in the Psalms, which again, y'all, the Psalms are so good. If you don't pray with the Psalms, you got to pray with the Psalms. The Psalms have every different emotion, no matter what you're going through, especially if you struggle with spontaneous prayer. Just open up the Psalms and God will give you the words to communicate to our Lord. They're so beautiful and so real and so raw and so just vulnerable. And man, Psalm, that's, that's where it's at. But in Psalm 82, 6, uh, King David says this, I say you are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. What? Wait, that's in the Bible? Yes, yeah, in the Old Testament, but also it's in the New Testament. Jesus Christ himself, who prayed the Psalms every day, also said something that might make you think twice. In the last prayer that he recited right before his passion, death, and resurrection, John 17, which is probably one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. Why? Because it's the one of the only times, one of the only times that we get to hear the prayer between Jesus and the Father. Like he prayed all throughout the Bible. He woke up in the morning and prayed. He prayed at night. He prayed in the afternoon. But like this is the time in the Bible where Jesus allows us to hear the conversation. And in his conversation with the Father, he said a number of really beautiful things. But one thing he said in John 17 was this, the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may become perfectly one. Not only did Jesus Christ, the Son of God, say something like this, but also the man who he gave the keys of the kingdom to, the first Pope, Peter, also says something similar in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. He writes this, You may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of passion and become partakers of the divine nature. So these passages from Scripture support the catechism of the Catholic Church and its teaching that God became man, that man might become God. So what does this actually mean, though? It means this. This is like where we get down to like the whole point of this, this question. It's by the grace of God 
that we become like God. We actually don't become God, like God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but by his grace, we become partakers of God's divine nature while remaining human. Our nature is human nature, but he allows us by his grace to be partakers of his divine nature. So the divinity that we are allowed to share in is not based on our nature changing. So we don't actually change. We remain human, but but we but what is changing is that we become like God, right? So so basically it's yeah, so yes and no. So no, we're not equal, but yes, we do become like God. By the grace of God. Like this is why every time we receive baptism and sacraments and communion, like that that we experience more and more of him and the more we uh, are close to him the more we become like him uh, in our walk toward eternity so does that make sense let me know all right next question speaking of people who were drawn to a deep intimacy with god and a holy communion with god there are two old testament figures enoch and elijah and this is the question from christina my question is this regarding the old testament the bible says that enoch was taken to heaven and a chariot took Elijah to heaven. But I was taught that no one actually went to heaven before Jesus died and bridged the gap. Where were Enoch and Elijah when they were taken to heaven? All right. So this is speculative theology. And this is why I always at the beginning of the podcast is like, I'm not perfect. I might be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I repent. I apologize. Please do correct me. I know some theologians like to listen to my show and I always appreciate feedback and correction. So I believe this is speculative theology. So I used to only think, we, we know what? Well, you know, it's true. The heavens were not open until Jesus Christ died. And so whenever the Bible says that Enoch and Elijah were taken up into the heavens, like I used to think that that only meant that they were taken up into the skies. But they still died. They still experienced a human death. However, I'm starting to think that I might be wrong. All right. And this is why I'm getting into speculative theology. The more I've studied this, the more I've been drawn to think that yeah, maybe they were an exception. Like there's always exceptions to the rule. Like Mary, the Blessed Virgin Mary is an exception, right? Uh, she was born without original sin. The Bible says all men were born with sin, original sin, but Mary wasn't. She's the exception. Now she still needed a savior. As she says in her Magnificat, God still saved her, but God saved her before she was born. He applied that, that grace of the passion, the timeless sacrifice of the passion to her before she was ever born, which is why she was born without original sin. So yes, he's still her savior, but he saved her in a different and unique way that was totally different from the way he saved Joseph and uh, everybody else and Peter and James and John and you and me. And so Every now and then, because God is omnipotent, he can make exceptions. He can make exceptions. And so God has made exceptions historically with Mary. So why could he potentially not make an exception with Enoch and Elijah as well? So the general rule is, yes, heaven was closed off. But potentially, Elijah and Enoch potentially did make it to heaven. So because, I mean, again, we're just applying scripture here. If God could do it with Mary, why could he not do it? With, with them. In Enoch's case, this is what it says in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. It, does, it says God took him, but it doesn't necessarily say like exactly like where though, like, right? So we know he went up into the heavens, but like, but where? But where did he take him though, right? And so this is why it's important for us to uh, not just read one passage and isolate it from other passages. So I'm gonna go grab my Bible real quick and we're gonna read a few more passages that might give us an indication on where Enoch was taken. All right, I'm back. Had to run and get my Bible, and I'm opening my Bible up right now to another passage in the Old Testament. 
And this passage is from the book of Sirach. Now, Sirach, funny story, is the, one of the very first one of the very first books of the Bible I read. So I, when I had my conversion, I um, I was dating a Baptist girl. She knew the Bible so well, and uh, so I picked up my Bible after my like my first conversion. So not back to the Eucharist, but my first like encounter with Jesus. And uh, and so I picked up the Bible and I read the book of Daniel. And Catholics have an extra chapter in Daniel that Protestants don't have. And so I, I was reading it and I was like, Yeah, I read this awesome story in Daniel. She said, I've never read that. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe something, I don't know, maybe you don't know the Bible that well. And then I read Sirach, and I was like, yeah, I, I love Sirach. And she was like, there's no book called Sirach. Anyways, had no idea that Martin Luther took out seven books from the Bible. Did not know that back then, but now I know what you know now. All right, so in Sirach, which is, again, a great, great book, and uh, it's a special, Sirach 38 is one of my favorite passages in the book of Sirach. It's about uh, pharmacists and doctors and taking medicines. Sometimes people are like, oh, I don't, don't want to take no medicine. And the book of Sirach says, you are a fool if you don't take no medicine. So I pity the fool that don't take no medicine. But in Sirach chapter 44, we read this about Enoch. Enoch, he wasn't just written about in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, but he was spoken of in Sirach. And in Sirach, verse 16 of chapter 44, we read this. Enoch pleased the Lord and was taken up. He was an example of repentance to all generations. All right, now this is interesting because I, I thought, okay, this is what I thought. I used to think, well, he was, uh, whenever Enoch died and he was taken, that yeah, yeah, he, he might have went up to the skies like momentarily, but like, but then he probably died and and he went to Sheol, which is like the place of the dead. But the thing about Sheol is it's always described as like down there, even though it's not like it's not the eternal fires of hell. It is like the resting place of like the just souls. So like Noah would have been there and Adam and Eve would have been there and King David would have been there. So I just assumed that Enoch was like taken up. He went for a nice little, uh, you know, ride into heaven. And then after that, he did die and was in Sheol. But this is he was taken up, not taken down. All right. So that's like really interesting wording right there. This is a fun little Bible study we're doing. And then again, in Sirach chapter 49 Verse 14, we read about Enoch again. It says, no one like Enoch has been created on earth, for he was taken up from the earth. Wow. Yeah, this is just really interesting. So so potentially, yeah, he was taken up, and he, he was, and, and potentially he didn't, right, um, see death. So then, speaking of death, let's go to the New Testament. Uh, the New Testament is... Also pretty amazing. It's amazing. It's a, it's a, it's amazing. Oh, the New Testament, how I love you. How I love you, the Word of God. So now I'm turning pages right now. If you wonder what I'm doing, I'm like a good old Catholic. It takes me forever to find a section of the Bible. I was so embarrassed. I felt bad for one of my friends that they were together and he couldn't find something in the Bible and he was super embarrassed. All right, so go to Hebrews chapter, let me see where it's at, 11, verse 5, says this, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he could not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. All right, so <laughs> this is really interesting. Enoch, all right, this is again, again y'all, I'm, I'm just being speculative theologian here. It seems to me like Enoch never died, all right, that he was taken up into heaven. Yeah, body and soul, like Mary, like Mary was, right? Whoa, that's kind of crazy. And so, again, the same thing would, would apply to Elijah. In Elijah's case, which is in 2 Kings 2.11, it says that Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. 
And so, and, and, it's, and it's, again, another passage in scripture, Maccabees 258, it, it again affirms that he was taken up into heaven. And so, man, it seems like potentially, yeah, potentially God made an exception. And like the general rule is, yeah, heaven wasn't opened up until the passion, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you know what? Potentially he made an exception because like, so again, I don't know is the ultimate answer. I don't know. So that's my safe answer. But my speculative theologian hat says, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe, or, or maybe they did go to Sheol. Maybe they did, but it seems biblically that they're, they were an exception to the rule. So let me know what you think. And yeah, mm, this, these are some good questions, y'all. Y'all are some, like, yeah, these are really, really good questions. So <laughs> to be safe, to not be a heretic, I'm going to say, I don't know, but I'm going to say it does really seem like they are the exception to the rule. So let me know what you think. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to dive into our final question about Marian apparitions, which is another really good question. Nestled under the warm Florida sun is a university whose name indicates a vocational call. Ave Maria, which is Latin for Hail Mary, recalls the angel Gabriel's announcement to Mary of her future vocation, becoming the mother of God. Enriched by God's grace, Mary freely assents to this call. This is the model for all students. Come to Ave Maria University, where we offer a liberal arts curriculum buoyed by the sacraments. This empowers you to clearly see your vocational call, whatever that call might be. Ave Maria University, your vocation location. Visit AveMaria.edu or call 1-833-AMUSWFL. All right, all right, all right. Final question comes in from Casey. Casey, that might reminds me of Casey and JoJo. Because <clears throat> all my life, I pray for someone like you. And I thank God that I, that I finally found you. So that reminds me of uh, my best friend, Father Ruben. He became a priest because, so he was like, he was living his life. Uh, some people say living his best life, but it wasn't his best life. It was like his worst life uh, when he was in college. And he like wanted to get married at some point. It's like, you know what? Like, like there's no, I don't want to marry the kind of girls that like, you know, I'm hanging out with in college, like drinking all the time and stuff like that. So basically he said, I'm going to like stop doing all this partying and I'm going to start going to church a lot and praying a lot more because I want a holy wife. And chances are, if a, there's a holy girl out there, she's not going to want a guy like me. So he started getting like super holy for his future wife. And uh, he was praying for her and everything. And then he uh, ended up in the seminary and I was a priest. <laughs> and so his wife's the church. She's 2000 plus years old. And uh, yeah, just it wasn't the wife he expected, but it's the best wife he could have ever imagined. And so he was praying for her. He was praying for someone like the church. And and he's so thankful now that he finally found her. So he's going to hate that I'm talking about him right now because he hates the spotlight. So he's going to find out about this if y'all tell him. So don't tell him. How about that? All right. So Casey says this. I've been reading a lot about Marian apparitions and saints who have experienced miraculous visions. I was wondering how the church determines whether or not these visions are from God or if the person is simply experiencing psychosis. Many people with schizophrenia or other mental health disorders experience religious visions. How do we know visionary saints did not simply suffer with mental illness? Casey. Okay, again, short answer. Well, we don't know for sure. Like some of them may have. But in 1978, a document from the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, the CDF, 
came out with something called Norms Regarding the Manner of Proceeding and the Discernment of Presumed Apparitions or Revelations. You could find that on the Vatican's website. It's a really cool document to read, very interesting. But within that document, it includes a section there that basically does say that psychological disorders are things that they take into consideration. And so that's something they do look at and as far as things that are red flags, essentially, right? But at the same time, again, God's bigger than our mental illnesses and our psychological disorders. And that should not always, though it sometimes can, it should not always disqualify someone from being a mystic or a visionary or a locutionist. Though at the end of the day, mystics and visionaries and locutionists are cool, but they can still go to hell. Like the goal is to be a saint, right? And mental illness certainly does not disqualify anyone from being a saint. God created all of us to become saints. And there were a number of saints and blesseds and venerables and servants of God who struggled for years with mental illnesses. One of them is my, one of my favorites. His name is St. Oscar Romero. He is a martyr from El Salvador. He was killed while celebrating the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. He stood up for the poor, so the poor. He is a saint who stood up for justice. And uh, I just I have so much affection for him. But he struggled with scrupulosity his whole life. He was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder by a psychiatrist. And not only did he suffer with mental illness, but his best friend, Venerable Rutilio Grande, also dealt with this as well. And it's really interesting. I think if I'm correct, Rutilio Grande, his death is what really inspired Oscar Romero to take up the fight of the poor. Um, but he experienced scrupulosity as well and chronic anxiety. And he had a nervous breakdown. He was in and out of treatment. He was diagnosed himself with catatonic schizophrenia. And he was hospitalized. So like, again, these are saints and they suffered and so with mental illness and they're saints, so like the goal is period to be a saint. And so if we read the church document where it says, like, if you have mental illness, specifically in you know, psychological disorders, that that is a red flag when it comes to discernment of the church on behalf of like when it comes to apparitions and uh, visions and locutions. OK, just recognize that you don't have to be a visionary or locutionist or an apparitionist to, to be a saint. But it also doesn't mean that there aren't some saints who did not also have mental illness or struggle with different psychological uh, disorders or have different illnesses when it comes, when it came to their mental health. You know, one of uh, my favorite saints is St. Saint Mary Magdalene de Piazzi. Uh, and she, de Piazzi, she was, she's her, her, her feast day is May 25th, which is my diaconate ordination day. Anyway, shout out to that day. But she is like a phenomenal mystic in our church. she, uh, received Holy Communion at age uh, 10. Right before that, she uh, intentionally and consistently meditated on the Word of God every day. She made a vow of virginity after communion. She became a nun at age 16 with the Carmelites. She ended up having visions and locutions and read people's souls and bilocated and prophesied about the future and was like on point in her prophecies. And, and at the same time, in the midst of all this, like she had mental health issues and she was really, really depressed. And so uh, she's a saint, right? And her apparitions are are legit. But the thing about even her apparitions, like apparitions that are proven to be true, even if the church approves an apparition, like we don't, we're not required to pay any attention to anybody's mystical experiences, right? Uh, approval only is to declare that nothing is found that's contrary to faith and morals. And they can be accepted without 
uh, danger, right? And, and they can even like help our faith and increase our faith. But if you're not into that, you don't have to. Be. I like that stuff. I've been to Fatima and Medjugorje and Lourdes, and I, I appreciate those places and spaces. I, I do. Uh, it helps my faith out. But you, if you don't like that, you don't have to. So whether or not someone has a mental illness, the church ultimately would discern by the fruits. So there potentially have been saints who've had mental illness and had locutions and visions and apparitions. Uh, but it is, as you said, true. Like there are people who have like psychosis and schizophrenia who might see things that aren't actually of the Lord, aren't happening. It's more just a mental uh, thing happening. But again, so it's possible. Yes, it's possible. The church looks at a whole picture, not just one thing. The church is also going to look at the person's moral life. The church is going to look at whether or not the person is trying to make money off of these apparitions and if the messages are in agreement with the teachings of the Holy Mother Church, again, they can say nothing that goes against faith or morals. They can say nothing that contradicts scripture or tradition. Uh, the church is going to check all that out, all the messages. They're going to check out to see if uh, there's supernatural fruit. Do people come closer to Jesus after this? Do people start reading the Bible? Do people give life to Christ? Do people go back to confession? Do people join RCIA? Do people begin to serve the poorest of the poor? Do people begin to work for justice in their land? Like Those are all supernatural natural fruits that the church is going to begin to examine. Does the person who allegedly has these apparitions, do they also receive criticism well? Or do they not receive criticism well? Do they submit themselves to authority, to their spiritual director, uh, to the church? Or do they think that they're better? Like this pride an issue for them. Does a person claim to see future events and that they're going to happen? Then when they don't happen, does the person try to like flip the script and change it up and say, oh, this is not really what, I, what I meant. I meant this. Like, nah. Right? And again, yes. And does the person experience mental illnesses? If they do, like the church wants to look into that because that could be something where the church like actually that that was an apparition, it was an locution, like that was your mental illness, which is why we go back to Sirach 38, which says, take your medicine, go to your doctor and get your medicine. Like that's of the Lord. It's biblical. It's not biblical to reject the gift that comes from the pharmacist and from the doctors. Those are members of the body of Christ who have gifts that are meant to help us to thrive and our walk toward eternity. And so it won't necessarily disqualify you from being approved as an apparitionist, but it is something that the church is really going to take serious in her examination, uh, if that makes sense. And I hope it does. So with that being said, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm. Our Lady of Cabejo, pray for us. Our Lady of Akita, pray for us. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. Our Lady of Lourdes, pray for us. Our Lady of Good Success, pray for us. Our Lady of Sorrows, pray for us. Our Lady of the Most Holy Rosary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, y'all. Until next week, deuces.